Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living, it is active, it is true, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. Open our eyes and our minds to hear your voice. As we sang, we're waiting here for you. Father, give us greater faith to rise above those waves that our faith would have no borders, that we would worship you with all that we are, that we would be good stewards of everything you've given us, Jesus. And we praise you, Father, for your incredible mercy and great love. It's unbelievable. Open our hearts and our minds to understand it. It's your precious name we pray, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine. I know it is fall break week, and we take advantage of both both ends of the weekends, but it is a joy seeing all of you. I feel like I'm speaking to a group here and a group here, you guys in the middle. I, I guess it feels like you're having surgery if you're right here in the middle, but anyway, we love the borders. But welcome. We are so glad that you guys are here in person or online. Before we dive into this passage, uh, I believe many of you guys know what all is going on in Israel. And it won't be on the screen, but there's a verse I want to read to you. It comes from Psalm 122, and it's a psalm of ascent as people would go up to Jerusalem and worship, written many, many, many centuries ago by King David. Psalm 122, verse 1, it says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet were standing within your gates, Jerusalem. And back then when the tent of meeting and the sanctuary and then finally the temple were built, that is where God chose to have his presence abide. But now that we're in the new covenant, where we, the body of Christ, the church, we are God's temple. And for all who believe in Jesus, God's spirit lives in us. And as we're part of that new covenant, we've been grafted into the vine. And Jesus is the vine. But there's a verse here in this psalm here where it says in verse 6, pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls. What we're going to do right now is we're going to spend some time praying for what we see happening in Israel. And so I want to encourage you guys to stand. There's a concept called the priesthood of all believers And it says throughout the New Testament that Jesus, because of his death on the cross, which we're going to see today, his shed blood, he is making a people for his own, a kingdom of priests and kings. One of the roles of the priests in the Old Testament was to intercede for God's people, to speak to God's people. Everyone who believes in Jesus is now a priest because of him we can boldly enter into God's presence. And so right now, we're just going to take a moment of silence. And I want to encourage you, pray for Israel. Pray for Palestine. Pray for the governments. Pray for Ukraine. There is so much in this world, and we truly need the Prince of Peace to move. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment of silence. Let's pray. Jesus, a couple years ago when COVID started, you impressed upon my heart 
the passage in the Old Testament, and right now the name is escaping me, but it says, where you says that you will shake the nations and you will draw the nations, all the nations to the desire of nations, who is Jesus. And Father, we pray for the peace of Israel. Father, we pray not only for the governments, for incredible wisdom across the world, but Jesus, as you continually shake nations, we ask that you would descend and bring your peace that passes all understanding. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. And we praise you that you are the good and great shepherd and you see all things, Father. You know all things. And we ask that you would extend your hand and that you would bring radical salvation and revival and renewal where millions of people would come to know you, Jesus. And with this horrible conflict now, the lives that are lost, the people who've been injured, those who've been kidnapped, those who've been killed, on all sides, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, be with those who've already lost loved ones and bring your comfort. Those who've been injured, bring healing. And Jesus, we ask that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit. And that you would move powerfully and Lord, give the government's incredible wisdom and insight to fight for what is true and right and good and just and holy. But Jesus, we ask that you speak above all else as Messiah, as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. Father, fix our eyes, touch us that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith that we would throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. And Jesus, have your way. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. And Lord, we ask that you would move powerfully on the other side of the world right now. As we stand in this building, we look outside and we see the sunshine not a cloud in the sky, the green grass and the leaves changing and the cooler weather. Yet there are wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And Jesus, we ask, you've told us it's the beginning. Father, may our faith not run cold. May we persevere to the end, waiting on you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. You all may be seated. Ephesians chapter 2. James, thanks for reading. And if you've turned off your smartphone, and that's, if that's where your Bible's located, I want you to encourage you to turn it back on. There's Bibles in the front of the pew. Or if you brought a Bible, and some of us bring those big, huge study Bibles that you can choke a mule with. And we are going to hit a passage today that is actually, it's the first half of it, the first third of it, is very discouraging. And we're going to park on it pretty heavy today. It's going to get kind of deep, kind of heavy today. I don't apologize for that. It's God's word and we need to preach his word. And last week, as we started this new sermon series on disciples multiplying disciples, it's our vision series. We looked last week, the gospel first and always. And today we're going to talk about gospel conversations. And today we're actually going to talk about what is the gospel? And I've asked this in so many small groups and with people groups and with just different people. What is the gospel? And I get the Christian answer, the good news. Well, what's that? Well, the Bible. And we can go in all kinds of circles. Technically, the gospel is the good news. But why is it good? 
have some medicine here. Can you hear it? I checked this online this week. Oh, almost, or about 10 million people die every year because of cancer. If this was the cure, how hateful would I be if I just stuck it in my pocket and never shared it? If I had the cure for cancer in this little bottle, and I'll let you know, I don't, okay? But if I had the cure right here for cancer, and there is no cure, and if I were just to put it in my pocket and keep it, how hateful would I be? How hateful would I be? This past weekend, or I guess Friday and Saturday, we went up to Indiana to visit my son, Sammy. He had rugby games in Delaware, Ohio, which was another three hours from Taylor. So we drove to Indiana on Friday, hung out, stayed the night, and then yesterday morning, early, 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 drove all the way to Delaware, Ohio. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but my mom is from Delaware. My grandparents are from Delaware. They grew up in that whole area of Ohio. So walking the streets yesterday morning of Delaware, Ohio, brought tons of memories back. And we watched several rugby games. We went out to eat. My mother's maiden name was Householder. And at the restaurant, the waitress who attended us, she was asking if we, if I attended Ohio Wesleyan, was back for the ball game or something. I said, no, but my grandparents are from here. She said, oh, wow, what are their names? And so I told her. And she goes, you're never going to believe this. My daughter married a householder. And I thought, well, we got to be related somewhere because there's not too many householders in the world that I'm aware of. I've never met one outside of my family. And I didn't recognize the names or anything, but I mean, I can't remember much anyways anymore anyway. But it made me think back to my grandparents. And I'll never forget, they lived on Union Street and the house is gone. It's just a parking lot now for some bank. But I'll never forget, my cousins, my brothers, all of us were in that house. And in one of the bedrooms upstairs, we had like four beds in one bedroom. That's all you could fit in there. That's where we all stayed. And my grandpa told us, you boys quit jumping on the bed. And we're only like two girl cousins in the whole tribe. But anyway, we were jumping from bed to bed and jumping around. And my grandfather said, don't jump on the beds. He left. What did we start doing? Jumping, very good, exactly. And I had the bright idea. I was kind of heavy. I I wore hefty pants. I was on the thicker side. I decided I was going to do a front flip from one bed to the other. And it didn't quite get all the way around. So my back end landed on the bed. My right foot went right through a window. Well, you can't hide it. And my foot was bleeding horribly. Can't hide that. And I'll never forget the face of my cousins and my siblings. (gasps) So I limped downstairs because they may be. You broke it. You got to confess it. I remember as I'm going downstairs, I'm scared to death. And I try to get my mom's attention. I tell her, I broke the window and I started crying. What are you doing? We are you jumping on the bed? Well, how'd you break the window? Well, I tried to do a flip and tried to explain. I mean, you can't hide it. The window was broken. My foot was bleeding. She told her dad, and we all went upstairs, and he fixed the window. I felt terrible. I got in big trouble. Have you ever done something 
disobeyed, broke something, and you can't fix it. It's over. It could be a small thing like an egg falling off the counter to a great big huge thing. And there's nothing you can do to hide it. This is really important because the cell phone's going off, okay? You can't hide it. You can't escape from it. It just is what it is. Right here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And if you want to know the history of Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. It's an amazing chapter in the book of Acts. We looked at it oof, at the beginning of this year when we were going through the whole book of Acts. But there was this amazing revival where Paul shows up at Ephesus. He begins to preach and teach at the synagogues for three months. Finally, they throw him out of the synagogue, but then he stays in Ephesus for almost two years preaching and teaching. After he leaves, there's this massive revival in Ephesus. And when I mean revival, I'm not talking about a big tent out in front of a church with some evangelist dressed up like Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken preaching the gospel. That's what we used to call revivals. That's not a revival. A revival is when Holy Spirit moves in the hearts and minds of men and women, and they confess their sins, they repent of their sins, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. There's salvations, there's reconciliation, there's healing. And that's what happened at Ephesus. It's an amazing move of God and you can't manipulate it. You can't conjure it up. God decides in his sovereignty, he blows his spirit upon a people or a city or a nation. We need to pray that for the United States, for Israel, for Ukraine, for the world. We need massive revival. And that's what happened in Ephesus. After Paul left, he then wrote this little letter to the Ephesian church. And if you read chapter 1, it's this amazing, there's two incredible apostolic prayers in chapter 1. And it's this, Paul's lifting up Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's talking a lot about our salvation. And then he turns on a dime, which means completely turning around. And right here in verse 1 of chapter 2, and it'll be on the screen, and I know most of you know this, but I really wonder... Do we really believe it? And we're going to park on some really bad news. And I'm serious. I'm not setting you up to tee you off with something funny. This is hard stuff right here. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Let us go ahead and stand for the remaining. Go ahead, stand up. I forgot to ask you guys to stand. Thanks, Hannah, your first one up. Very good. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us. 
You may be seated. There are three parts to this passage. Say three. Johnny or Amanda, when they do the welcome, they say there's two things you want to know. So I'm going to learn you good. And if you're learning English, don't follow the way I speak English. I'm going to teach you good. There's three things we're going to look at today. Three. Say three. Three. The first one is this. You stinketh. You're dead. And I'm being silly a little bit because this is heavy stuff. And so I want to make a little bit light of it, just a little bit, just to draw our attention. The first part is you're dead. You stinketh. I'm sure all of us have driven by a dead skunk or something dead on the road, and we get a whiff of it. Whoo! It's awful. The first part of this passage is you're dead. The second part is God's great love and mercy. And the third one is saved by grace. Verse 1 through 3, number 1, you stinketh. Let's look at these verses right here again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all lived among them, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Here is the reality for every human. Every human who is born is born dead in our sins and trespasses. If you want to see people get angry, tell them that they are not a good person. We all, most of us will admit, yeah, I sin. Yeah, I do bad things. Tell them that they're a bad person. We're not even going to look up the verses, but it says throughout the Psalms and Romans chapter 3, no one is good. Say no one. No one is good. No one seeks after God. No one does right. If you want to offend someone, tell them that they're not a good person. We can argue about religion. We can even argue about faith. We can get most people to admit, yeah, I've said a couple white lies. Yeah, I've kind of done that. You tell them that they're a bad person, and whew, I mean, the knives will come out. This is not the only passage that talks about it. And see, this is part of the gospel, because as we look at the gospel, we're going to have to walk in this biblical tension where there's two biblical truths that they seem like they contradict each other. One of those truths is that every human being is born dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. It says here, and Paul starts using we, which I love, because a lot of people think that Paul was arrogant. Paul is not. He begins to talk right here in verse 2, in which you previously lived. Now he's talking to the Ephesians because something has happened to the Ephesians. They used to be dead in their trespasses. They used to be dead in their sins, but something has happened. But Paul then includes himself. Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them and our fleshly desires. Because Adam and Eve, because they sinned and disobeyed, sin has now infiltrated every human being who has ever lived. No one has escaped it except for the Lord Jesus. He is the only human, and he was 100% human, just like you, just like me. Now, he was 100% God too, not like you and not like me. But he shared our human nature, yet was without sin. 
But for the rest of us, we're born dead. We stinketh. We are as dead as a post. We have no life in us because of our sin nature. And Paul talks about that right here in verse 2, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. And the question is, well, what are the ways of this world? Well, the ways of this world is the lust of the eyes. It's the pride and it's the boasting of what one has. It's the lust of the flesh. Paul talks a whole lot about it, about this sinful nature. And he says it in Galatians chapter 5, 19 and 21. And it's not the only list, but it's probably the most well-known list that we have. This is the sin nature. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Well, that's any type of sexual activity outside of the covenant marriage of one man and one woman in marriage. Outside of that, it's all sexual immorality, whether if it's actions or thoughts. Jesus himself said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery. Jesus knows our hearts, and we might be able to deceive everyone else. But we cannot deceive him. We cannot fool him. But he talks about sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. Idolatry can be anything that we put as number one in our hearts and minds above God. It could be our family. It could be our ministry. It could be our money. It could be things that are wicked and horrible. It could be good things. It could be our job. It could be ourselves. It could be our experiences, our feelings. It could be anything that takes priority in our hearts and minds. Outbursts of anger. Whew, Lord Jesus, man. Y'all need to see me behind closed doors. And I know I make light of some of these sins. One of the big ones that I always make fun of here in the sermon is just murder. If you've gone down I-65, I-24, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, homicide. But I tell you, anyone who curses someone else has committed murder in their hearts. And I'll make the joke, driving down 65, someone cuts me off. And I mean, inside the rage and the anger, that sorry so-and-so. And we all laugh. But God looks at the heart And when I look at outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. Who struggles with envy? I do. Drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And then Paul goes on and he says, I've warned you before that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So going back to Ephesians 2, Paul is saying you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You previously lived according to the ways of this world. And that's the lust and the pride of one's life, the pride of what one has. The lusting and longings to gratify that sinful nature. That is who we are by nature. We are not good people. Now that biblical tension is, and this is part of the gospel, but all of us were created in God's image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we have a God who loves us far above and beyond anything we could possibly imagine. 
So we have this biblical attention where we're created in God's image. And because every human is created in God's image, that means every human is precious. From the time they're conceived, every human is precious. There's not one who is a piece of trash or should be discarded or thrown away. Every human has been created in God's image and are uniquely created, wonderfully created. And that is awesome, amazing news. But because of sin, we're also not good. And we've walked according to the power of the spirit of the air. Hebrews chapter 2 talks a little bit about it. Talks a whole lot about who Jesus is. So I think it's Hebrews 2. Yeah, Hebrews 2.14. The author of Hebrews is talking about how great and amazing Jesus is. And he says this. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, that's us. We all have flesh and blood in common. We're all human. Jesus also shared in these. Jesus was a man. He was a human just like you, just like me. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. If we're really honest, most people fear death. Most people fear getting older. Look at how many just even famous people are trying to inject this, take this, trying to look younger, trying to extend life. And if you really ask people to get brutally honest, many fear death because it's an unknown. And Jesus came and he destroyed the power of Satan to free us from his clutches. You see, as humans, we're not born neutral. As we've seen here in Ephesians, we're born sinners and we're born dead in our sin and trespasses. We're held captive as prisoners to Satan. And there's no amount of good works or being religious or being a good human that's going to be able to set us free. It can, only by done, it can only be done by someone on the outside who then lives on the inside like one of us who destroys those chains. Now, the reason I'm focusing on this, remember? If I had the cure for cancer and just stuck it in my pocket, how hateful would I be? But if I were just to walk up to Silas and say, Silas, I got this for you, buddy. I got the medicine you need to, for, for, to be healed. Well, he's going to sit there and be like, I'm not sick. Sorry if the camera's off. In order to appreciate the cure, you have to know what you have. And if I were just to walk up to Silas and be like, hey, this is for you. This is for your good. This is going to make life better. It's going to give you peace. It's going to give you joy and hope. Cool. But if he doesn't know why, 
he won't appreciate it. And if I know that Silas is sick, and if I know I've got the cure, and I just keep it in my pocket, how much do I despise and hate Silas? But if I know he's sick, and if I know I have the cure, and I give it to him, I tell him, Silas, dude, you are so sick. Sorry for our boy, my English today. I can see it, the symptoms all in your life. Mm-hmm, very good. Thank you. I've got the cure for you, but let me explain what you've got. And if you're to sit down and we're to talk through it, then I explain to him, you got this symptom and that symptom and this symptom and that. I can just see it all over your face, all over your body. You can see it in your eyes. I can hear it in your voice. And you're going to be dead here. In fact, you're dying right now. But I've got the cure. Do you want it? If he were convinced, he would take it. I wouldn't have to do any convincing. And you see, we're going to talk about gospel conversations today and next week. But the gospel, we kind of have to start. The gospel is good news. But you almost have to start with the bad news first in order to appreciate and understand the good news. The bad news is that all of us, every human, is dead in our sin and trespasses. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to get rid of it. I broke the window of my grandmother and grandfather's house because I walked in disobedience. I did exactly what my grandfather told me not to do, and I actually added to it. Not only did I jump on the bed, but I tried to do a front somersault from one bed to the other. And as a result of my disobedience, there's consequences. A broken window and a bloody heel. And there's absolutely nothing that can be done except acknowledge it and admit it and surrender to it. And too many people deny the fact that they're dead. Deny the fact that they have no hope all alone. Many people just don't even know the truth or they pretend to ignore it. Paul then goes on, and we'll finish this up next week. But Paul then goes on, and this is my favorite word in this whole passage. Let's stand. It's the very beginning of verse 4. Remember, but... Paul does this deep dive of really bad news. But, but God who is rich in mercy, think about it, not just having mercy, he is rich in mercy. Now mercy is withholding a punishment that is deserved. Mercy is withholding a punishment that is deserved. And God is so rich in mercy. He withholds what we deserve. What else does he do? Because of his great love. I love what Paul's saying. God is rich, say it, rich in mercy. Because of his great, say great. Man, the kids are doing awesome today. Great in his love. He's rich in mercy and he's got such great love for you and me and for the whole world. 
the whole world that he's made us alive with Christ, even though we're dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. Now, grace is receiving a gift you do not deserve. Y'all can be seated. God withholds the punishment, that's mercy, and he gives grace a gift. Now, Silas is not sick, and that's just aspirin in that bottle. So, This passage goes on to the next two things. I'm just to ask the worship team to go ahead and come forward. But the next two points is the first one is we stinketh, we're dead. The second one is God's great love and mercy. We so deserve eternal punishment from our Heavenly Father. We so deserve to live forever separated by Him. Forever. It's what we deserve. The reason we deserve is because we have sinned against the almighty, omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful God. And because He's just and because He's holy, He just can't close His eyes and pretend that sin doesn't exist. We all know we see injustices in the world. And when we see it, sometimes our anger arouses. How can that be? Child abuse, sexual abuse, wars. How can that be? We see an adult beating up on a child. We see it and we get angry inside and we long for justice. Well, that's God given. And we need to understand that we as humans, we're so wretched. That's why there are wars and there's fights. James talks about it. Why are there wars? Why are there fighting? It's because you do not have what you want. And so you fight to get it. You fight to attain it. And the, our idolatry and our sin, it's so wretched. That God, because he is just and because he is holy, he wants to punish it. Because he's a good, just judge. And he brings his justice But because he loves us dearly, he longs to forgive us. And that is why Jesus, the only human to ever live, took our punishment and all the wrath that God was holding because of our sin. He poured out upon Jesus. He punished Jesus for it. The only human who is perfect, the only one who did not sin, the only one who is not idolatrous or immoral or greedy or an idolater or an adulterer or a murderer, the only human. And God chooses to pour his wrath out upon that one, his only son. And Jesus takes that wrath. He takes that punishment. He gives himself up. And then God, through Christ, offers us that gift, salvation, forgiveness, new life. And by believing in Jesus, by giving our lives to him, we're new life. It's a gift. It's point number three. We're saved by grace. It's a gift. Now, I know most of you, I know most of you have put your faith in Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing this song. I just want you guys to tell them as we worship how grateful you are for that gift. And if you've made light of it, in Spanish we call it menos preciar, if you've kind of despised it or made light of it, 
just pour your hearts out to Jesus because he has saved you from an incredible wrath that you so rightfully deserve. And worship him because it's only through Christ. He is the solid rock. It's his great gift. So let's worship him.